Well, I want to welcome you to the second installment as it relates to women's roles in the church. Last episode, we had Stephen Lisa Johnson describing to us their journey to mutuality. Today, we are going to be doing the both and. If you know me, you know I cover the both and. If I cover one side of something, I will cover the other because I want to help people to wrestle instead of come to a biased conclusion. And so I've got Ed and Deb, Anton, they are going to be talking about the complementarian position. And as we get ready to talk about this, guys, please hear me on this. Sometimes we can borrow our culture to talk about theology, and I don't want to do that. I'm serious. You think about how charged our, you know, our our country has been, and it puts it into either or, you're either this or you're either that, and we get trapped in labels. And we miss the heart oftentimes of where people are coming from and what they want to say. So if you're listening to this, please open your minds. Um, and you, some of us, like myself, are deepening our convictions. Uh, we are learning how to read the Bible in a more, more holistic way. We're learning to come to some of the, you know, the conclusions that we have that maybe we're more affectionately held. Either way it goes, I really want people to slow down and really wrestle with what they think they understand about scripture and be willing to be a learner, be a Berean. You know, it's okay to rethink things, um, but it's okay in some ways as we deepen things to, to say, hey, look, this is where I stand. I also want to say that I know that there are those of us who fear being judged for our position. You know, maybe you're on this side or this side and you're scared. You know, you feel like you don't want to put yourself out there and so forth like that. And so I get that. I have a new series called Off the Record. Um, this is a series that I get into some more intimate conversations with people where I get into people's uh, personal positions. I don't think that the public sphere is well suited or equipped for some of the conversations nowadays. And so I've got this portion, which is going to be discussing complementarianism, if, if you want to call it that. It's a really big word. Maybe there's another word. And then I've got off the record where we are going to be talking about some more of those things. All of that will be in the description. Without further ado... Deb and Ed, welcome to the channel. Hey. Thank you. Thank you. Super great to be with you. It's an honor to be here. We really Indeed. appreciate you and the work you've done, especially with trauma. You've really given a lot to the kingdom. Well, I, Deb, I met you at the, the conference. It was finally good. I'd met Ed, uh, Ed before, but it was good to meet you. I had a chance to hear both of you speak. And so I'm actually going to be taking part of what they did. Um, at the conference, and we're going to be talking a little bit about that. But I'm really excited about having both of you on. Let's start with this. Tell us a little bit about your conversion and a bit about your ministry experience. Well, I was finishing up my medical residency at University of Virginia. So I was a third year resident. So I'd gone through all, four years of medical school, finishing up my residency. I grew up going to church my entire life, um, but uh, I mean, I was part of Young Life, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, uh, Medical Christian Society. When I went off to college, I was had a Bible study in my dormitory, Bible study in my sorority. But if you looked at, I went from being this self-righteous Christian and then through college, I was behind the scenes. I was showing up to church and trying to claim Christianity, but my life was very worldly, but it was a very private worldly life. Um, and uh, when I was met, um, I, I was carrying a lot of guilt, too, with me. Mm. I didn't understand grace, even though I grew up in the church, never understood grace. And I was just met by a couple who was on a walk for her birthday, pregnant with her first child. And they stopped and invited me to church. And I thought, well, why not? Um, but uh, I 
was, it's like I had all these pieces to the puzzle, but I needed someone to help me put it all together and really get the gospel message of grace, which I never appreciated. But I just did three Bible studies and I signed me up. This is my life. Um, I started one study. The last study was we just started studying out sin and we went all night and I had to work the next day after I got off work all day. Well, work at that time for resident was all day, all night and the next day. So it was like 36 hour shift. And I got baptized right after that. And that was my conversion. Mm. Very grateful for the Paul and Jen Hopkins in Charlottesville, Virginia. I was met before the mm. first official inaugural service in Charlottesville. So oh, basically wow. baptized into a mission team planting. Yeah. Beautiful. And uh, I, I, we were both actually 29 when we uh, finally, finally made it into Jesus. Yeah. Uh, I was instead uh, basically a dumpster fire of a human being. Uh, the proverbial empty suit, shallow, selfishly ambitious ladder climber. And in the process of wanting to clean up my image so that I could advance up the corporate ladder at Coca-Cola a little bit more briskly, I remember thinking maybe if I threw a little like church into it, because I was in Dallas, Texas at the time and church was a big deal down there. I grew up in the Northeast, it was Catholic. Uh, church, schmerch, who cared? Uh, but you get down there and suddenly even corporate culture uh, involved a lot about, you know, where you worshiped and what you did. So I thought, ah, maybe that might be. And that, that's all I thought of it. And then a couple of days later, same thing. I was walking down the street and a, a couple stopped me and ended up uh, befriending me and inviting me to you know, just uh, spend some time with them. I remember because I was so shallow, you know, one-upsmanship was my life. We were in the same neighborhood. I remember walking into their house and, and I was always evaluating and comparing of, of whether I was doing better than the other people in my neighborhood. Mm. <laughs> and I remember walking through their house and, and it, was, it, was, it was kind of Spartan uh, and threadbare and thinking to myself, wow, I'm winning. Like, I'm totally winning against these guys. I got a better company car. I got a better cat. I got better appointments to this. It was so stupid and shallow. And I remember afterwards, this is what got me, was I remember saying to the fellow who stopped me, I was like, I couldn't, it was like, I, I couldn't contain myself. I was like, dude, his name was Mike Mines, a great guy. I was like, you know him probably. Uh, and I said to Mike, Mike, what's up with the house? Like, what's up with, the, with this stuff? He goes, what do you mean? I'm like, oh, it looks like your grandmom's couch and a TV with tinfoil for uh, reception. Like, what, what's that? And, and I remember him being so poised, so secure, so confident. I remember him just standing there. We were in front of his house at the time, just stared right at me without being rattled in any way by my silly materialistic concerns. And, and I remember it felt like he was peering into my soul and he just simply said, well, maybe you and I have different priorities for our resources. And I remember at that moment thinking, I don't feel like I'm winning anymore. <laughs> like, <laughs> there's, there's some substance here that I clearly know nothing about. And uh, ultimately sat down, studied the Bible with him. And, and it was really quick. I mean, almost immediate, like, oh, no, I am wrong. I'm dead wrong. I need to be saved. And, uh, and so I was. Praise God. Yeah. And then when I was studying the Bible, I mean, I was getting ready to do my first residency, but I remember thinking like, wow, people do this full time. Like we need to get this word out. I my, my passion for medicine, which I had had since I was like five years old to 
ministry during my Bible studies. I was like, we got to, we need workers. We need people to can get this word out. And if if I can do that full time, that would be amazing. So my dream for the ministry started during my Bible studies um, and watching. And I've, and I've always been around women that were very involved in the ministry, um, but not, I mean, living out, you know, you know, what I see in the scriptures about women, God using women to advance his kingdom started in the Old Testament through the New Testament. And I saw that being lived out by the women in my life. So, and I know that's not everybody's experience in our movement, um, but I had very, very involved advancing kingdom mindset women from early on. Um, And that, that helped me in my passion for ministry. As soon as I saw that in her, I was floored. I was like, this is, this is the woman of women, man. Oh my goodness. And she's a doctor, a doctor. I go, that's right. That was the ultimate. You, you got a doctor. And, and, but, but she, instead of wanting to, you know, kind of be deploying all that she dreamed of being since a a five-year-old, as soon as she came to know Jesus, she was frustrated that she was constrained to this uh, examination room when she could be out and about maybe connecting people to Jesus. I'm like, holy smokes, that's a kingdom view. That is not a worldview. That is a kingdom view. I need to, I need to hitch my wagon to this gal here. That's for sure. And now you guys lead the American Commonwealth region. What is that? <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's an artifact of a title. <laughs> I know. Uh, we, 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 <laughs> we've tried the Ohio and Chesapeake uh, waterways. There's nothing that connects these states so well, but it's a, it's a grouping of states in the middle of, we could be the Middle East. It's the Middle East of the, of the U.S. <laughs> Mid-Atlantic, but that would include some other spots. Uh, Mid-Atlantic, the Ohio Valley wouldn't be happy. But it's, you know, the churches are like Ohio, Kentucky, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Delaware, Maryland, Virginia, uh, that, that grouping of churches there. And there's uh, 25, 26 churches. We're, we're planting one in two days. So we'll have 26 churches. Mm. Uh, so, uh, amen. 26 churches that are there. And, and we are chairman of that. And, and so we help to, to coordinate the efforts there and have an amazing team of folks uh, that, that all do the same with us. Women's roles. <laughs> super hot topic right now. Yes. And I, I I think sometimes when we look at something, we get fooled because we think that we know how the problem works. We know what the problem is. And I find that most people, especially when they come in for therapy, uh, the first sort of understanding is rethinking the problem or at least how they think about the problem. And so this women's roles topic is highly energized. The question is why? What's underneath it? I want to give both of you kind of a shot at this one. What do you think's underneath this topic? Run with that. Underneath this topic currently or in general? In general, in general. Yeah. Well, I think it's been a hot topic, honestly, since Genesis chapter three with the fall. <laughs> the battle of the sexes started in Genesis chapter three, and uh, but I think. Currently, I think, and I don't think this will be the last time this will be a hot topic, by the way. We'll get to something and then it will pop up again because it's until Jesus comes back and everything is restored. I think this will be because of the sinful nature. I think in the world we have um, the Me Too movement that was outside the world. Um, And then in the church, we have some probably some practical application of some 
biblical principles that may have been right, but maybe not played out practically well. And I think people can see that. And I also think that there's so much access to not just opinions, but also scholarship. But unfortunately, in this area, it's very hard to find balanced scholarship. Mm-hmm. Most, I mean, even good scholars, it's very hard. It's very easy to see somewhat of an agenda right away. Um, I think getting more balance, I think we're getting there, but I don't think we're there, but I think all those things play into being a hot topic in the moment, you know, some mistakes made practically, um, in the church, as well as our culture abroad and the increased access to opinions and, um, a scholarship, some of it good, but somewhat imbalanced. Yeah. And you know, I, I agree too. It, it it also speaks to just this sense. There's everybody, you know, has this deep sense of of that's not fair, right? And there just seems to be there's just some stuff that we we see in the Bible. And I'm I'm sure if I'm my daughter or my wife, I'm thinking, come on, like why 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 is this the case? And 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 it is very difficult because it is so countercultural, and that sense that in inherent sense of justice, you know, begins to scream up. And then when you want to course correct, I, I think that there's probably more of a confirmation bias approach to presenting the findings rather than on the one hand, on the other hand type approach. Mm-hmm. Uh, hey, we, we, we recognize this or, 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 or even a lot of straw man arguments, a lot of straw man arguments. Uh, in, in order to prove a case. And when you go down that route, it becomes divisive and it, 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 we begin talking past one another rather than doing just our, our level best to try to really look at the, the, the fullness, a full orbed view and, and, and do our best to be present it deliberately, responsibly. Nobody can do it. We all have biases. My goodness, yes. right? There's bias bias. Uh, and if, 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 if I don't bias, right? That, that's the, the, the greatest blind spot of all. Uh, but we, you know, but, but trying our best to kind of let, let me put all my biases out there and, and still do what I can to present it. That, that is not necessarily what, what maybe either side in some cases is doing with this one issue. I, I think it's like, I, there's a case to be made. Let me, let, let me just kind of focus on the talking points that will do the best for that case to be made. So, and social media, right? I mean, social media doesn't lend itself to the 15 page paper. Yeah. It lends itself to a, 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 a yeah, an effectively persuasive soundbite. Uh, and that, that begins to be what informs our sensibilities. Let's kind of give an overview. How do you guys teach complementarian, I want to say complementarianism, but a complementarian perspective? What are the basics of that? So, so, you know, actually, this is something maybe that you've not been exposed to in Deb's teaching. And, and Deb's been teaching on this for 20 years. I remember... 20 years ago, her introducing the, the, the concept of Ezer, Ezer Konegdo and, and, you know, kind of, oh, my goodness. And, uh, and so it has been a long time. But, but as of late, and especially for the uh, Let Justice Roll conference of a year or so ago, uh, Deb introduced a concept that kind of flies over either complementarianism or egalitarianism. But anyway, mm. I'm, I'm getting ahead of all of that. Um, maybe I'll just kind of t- toss it over and she, she can share a little bit and I'll see if I can kind of fill it out a bit. Yeah. And I appreciate Kyle, what you were saying earlier, because that was part of what I was going to share is like when we do complementarian versus egalitarian using these terminologies that aren't 
um, principles may be biblical um, from different perspectives, but but it puts people into camps like you were saying. And and then I do think a lot of scholarship is grasping for their you know their agenda. Um, we all have agendas. We all have biases. Again, we just got to expose them and um, interpret it with a, a clearer mind as much as we can. Um, but it's so um, antithetical to Jesus, this grasping. Um, it's, uh, you know, Jesus emptied himself. Um, and, and I think when we talk about gender roles, what we're really talking about is in general, we're talking about what women can and can't do. <laughs> but it's not, mm-hmm. from my perspective, it's not women's roles, it's gender roles. It's men and women living out the roles, which I see these biblical principles. And um, this whole grasping and, and I mean, one of my favorite passages in the Bible is the canonic hem, what we call the canonic, the emptying of Jesus in Philippians chapter two, where it says he emptied himself. Mm. The word in the original language is kenosis. Or, um, and, and that word kenotic um, is the emptying of um, a word that we've used in English. So, and honestly, if we have gender roles where men are living out this role, which I believe is this, this emptying of self, not this ruling over, which we see. Or, or grasping. Or right? Grasping, yeah. 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 Um, but I mean, even this ruling over that we've heard of, like with gender roles in the past, there's been an emphasis on men leading women submitting. Um, which misses the heart of Jesus, the image bearing of Jesus, where we get to image this emptying of self, um, both men mm. and women. And we see this in the scriptures. We see Jesus does both. He completely submits his will to his father, completely and empties. He doesn't even consider equality with God something to be grasped you know, to be used for his own advantage or grasped. And so he's completely submissive. But then on the other side, he completely submits himself to the body of Christ, wholly and completely. So you see both of these roles coming together in Jesus. And I think as men and women, we can image bear, we can do that, but it's not, it's completely interdependent. And we, um, you can't have one without the other. And I think when we try to define complementarian, I have a hard time with that word because what I see in general in some scholarship, not all of it, but a lot of it is not what I see in the scriptures of this interdependence of men emptying themselves, women emptying themselves. Of course, we're not gonna do that perfectly. That's why we have the battle of the sexes. That's why we have ruling over and entitlements, but Jesus emptied himself of all entitlements. You know, I don't think um, that it was ever meant for women to be an assistant, but it is this azer connecto in Genesis 2.18, um, and 220, um, where most translations talk about a helpmate or a suitable helper. But it is this azer that, I mean, this God is both, you know, what we see so clearly in Jesus. He was this amazing leader of his people who sacrificed himself for the people. And that's how he led. But he was the helper too. He came in, he led, he helped. I mean, I, I'm sure a lot of people listening to this have heard, but we've we've been teaching on this 
for a while, this whole idea of Azer, it's, it's a word mentioned, that's the helper in Genesis 2.20 and 2.18, is the word, it's used 21 times in the Old Testament, 16 times it's used for God helping Israel, three times it's used for some sort of military aid, and twice for women. So there's been a misconception of really what women's role is. It isn't this, it is this, and Konegdo is that suitable, it's, it's not this over one another, but it is matching one another, um, where we help each other. Um, doesn't mean, I mean, physically it makes sense. You know, we're both parents, but I had a physical role. He had a physical role. We don't have the same role. Does that extrapolate to roles biblically? Well, my interpretation is it, there are different roles, but it's not one of value. We do have a warped idea of leadership being of greater value and also mm. holding more power. Jesus gave his power up. He's God, but in his human form, gave it up. I mean, it's there's there's the heart of it and the word that I, we've come up with because um, it was combined effort. But I like the word kenotarism, kenotic, mm. after emptying of self. It's like if we both empty ourselves in our perspective roles, this wouldn't be as much of an issue. If people, if, if, if men were leading in a way, the way Jesus led, where he emptied his, himself out completely, <laughs> he had an advantage, though, of being a creator of men and women. So he knows the hearts of both. So he doesn't have to listen and learn as much as perhaps a man would have to listen and learn to be able to take on that role. And the same thing with women. It's like if we could really empty ourselves of entitlements and trust in a God that is above this, and I can help him have the woman's perspective, which he, I completely trust that Ed knows how important my voice is and my role. Um, but not in every moment, not throughout our marriage and ministry, I've had to help in that area. Now, I don't, I'm extrapolating with the word help here. I think it's, we can go into tangents of what helping means in that particular scripture. But I do think um, this idea of emptying of self is the heart of Jesus and being image bearers of Jesus to the world. We can both do this in our perspective roles. Yeah, it, it, I mean, we're, we're all about Jesus, men or women, we're all about Jesus. Mm -hmm. And we have the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus, Philippians 2.5. And what was that mindset that he did not consider equality with God, something to be grasped, but rather kenosis emptied himself. So kenotarian is this idea um, of kenosis, a kenotarian approach, even to the kind of the gender war that, that we face. Uh, the, 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 the great, the great win is Jesus comes into play when we're both kenotarian, uh, yeah, it's mint minting a new word, uh, whether it lasts, who knows, <laughs> but, but I, <laughs> I'll it, take it. We'll it is it. so helpful to me. It is so intensely helpful because think of what, like me as a guy, right? What, what, what is my role in a, in a gender situation? Well, I'm, I'm informed by Ephesians five, right? What am I supposed to do there? I'm, I'm supposed to pour myself out, uh, and selflessly love as Christ loved the church, uh, right. That he, that he gave himself up. Uh, for, for the church, an absolute selfish, selfish love, um, 
you know, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, sanctifying her by the cleansing of water with the word. And then even for, for, for sister, but, but I get to image Jesus. Like, how cool is that? In a man-woman relationship, I get to image Jesus. What greater honor is there than that in my life? Right. And, and sisters, too, when they look to that, uh, can see that they get to image Jesus in, in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, where, where it talks about the headship idea, which I get, I get that's a whole nother can of worms, but let me just read the scripture, uh, that, that man, yeah, is the head, man is the head of woman and God is the head of Christ. And there is that parallel there that there, there's a, there is a headship idea in view, but there's also an imaging and a parallel in view. And what is that imaging in parallel? That wife or woman is then called into perfect parallel with Jesus in that, in that passage. And my goodness, what great honor is there? Let's run after that. And you know what? Everything else seems to work itself out a whole lot better when we begin with that mindset. And so right there, you've given us something to think about. Again, if you're watching this, I said the same thing in the Johnson interview. I am not here to tell you what to think. I'm here to give you something to think about. And I think this is a time where people need to wrestle unconventionally. In other words, people are used to someone else doing the thinking, right? Who have you allowed to do the thinking? <laughs> uh, and not only that, there's an ownership to discipleship. So if someone brings up Jesus, all of a sudden our, our mouths kind of shut. <laughs> we close our mouths and we listen to whoever's talking about Jesus. And right now I'm kind of shutting my mouth because they're bringing up Jesus as uh, the, the template for who we're to become. Um, and I, I really, I really think you've given us something to think about because I think we are kind of being pulled into the cultural extremes a bit, you know, even myself at times, um, we all get pulled into it. Mm -hmm. And as we get pulled to the cultural extremes, we get further from Jesus and Jesus. I mean, just the example has a way to bring men and women together. Um, let me, let me ask you a couple of questions. Um, did, did you say it was uh, Kenotarian? Yeah, Kenotarian. From, from the Kenotic hymn. Yeah, Kenotic, Kenotarian. Okay. Yeah. So, so really quickly, uh, what has been the response thus far? You guys have been teaching this for a while. What's been the response that people have given you as you've as you have taught this to them? Well, you know, Deb. I'll just kind of brag on her for a bit. I mean, dur during the uh, teachers' conference of, of uh, the justice conference that they did, uh, there there really was a, a pretty great response to that uh, from, from from some that are rather learned in the subject and, and some that are just kind of tuning in. So that was encouraging to hear that, hey, it's, it's nice to get outside of, like, like you said, to get outside of these camps and, and these perceived or potential turf wars that could go on and blow it all up and fly above it with Jesus and, and look at it because it is actually men and women interacting with one another that that actually has this opportunity to image Christ and to image him mm -hmm. with the emptying of self rather than a asserting of self. So and we, we taught it in our church as well. And, and likewise, I, I, I think it's helped us to navigate through the uh, Bible and gender issues that that we're all trying to navigate. Yeah. And, and again, going back to it, it is gender roles, not women's roles. And uh, right. we do have to do we we women we're also learning. We're still learning and we've got to do a better job at that. And uh, and I think, again, like you said, um, when you go to Jesus, I mean, 
Jesus was countercultural. And sometimes we, we think, and I've heard people say, well, we need to be relatable to the culture. And I'm like, actually, Jesus wasn't relatable to his culture. I mean, he had women financially supporting his movement. The first Christian movement was supported by women. Um, he had a band of women come along with him during a time when um, we, we can't find anything in any primary sources or anything that even suggests that a rabbi ever took women along with him. I mean, he was radical. And then, of course, the first eyewitness of the resurrection was a woman when a woman couldn't even testify in court then. I mean, he was countercultural. Mm. So I think it's okay to be a little bit countercultural. I mean, Jesus showed us how to do that. Um, but I think we got to be careful with, with that as well. And be, because we could then try to extend into our culture, right? right? And, and, and not allow Jesus to continue to be countercultural and to rub us the wrong way in some ways, because he, he did appear to the women, but he did say, hey, now go tell the guys, yeah. uh, the 12 that I appointed, and they're all guys, uh, <laughs> right? So, so that obviously is an issue as well, yeah. but are, are we okay with countercultural then, but we're not okay with countercultural now, uh, or, or maybe we, we'd like to think that um, Jesus is not the same yesterday, today, and forever, and if the Bible were, were, were maybe able to be edited by the Holy Spirit today that they would make some edits? Like, who is that to us to say? Um, you know, we've got, we've got what we've got. And, and in some cases, we have to wrestle with the countercultural aspect of it. Yeah. And it's hard. It's hard because we have biases, everybody. And I think, again, we got to identify our biases. We have, again, we have world culture biases, we have family cultural, and then we have church cultural biases. And identifying them and then going back to the scriptures and letting them inform us the best we can. You know what would work better? If I said all the cool things about women and then you pushed back and said, yeah, but. <laughs> I think, let, let, me, let me throw something, that's funny. Let me throw this out, a couple things. Um, I would say on both sides, you have a lot of proof texting, number one. Sure, yeah. Proof texting is where we search for evidence for our perspective and we find a whole bunch of scriptures that support it out of their context. Right. And we find yeah. that in a comp traditional complementarian perspective on this, there's been a lot of proof texting, which those who on their Bible study, if they're a mutualist, or some people would say egalitarian, they're poking at the holes that only culture, when you look at Bible, the Bible, it performs within a context. So if you use it within a context and you do cafeteria style hermeneutic, to your point, and we start playing copy and paste with the scriptures to support our position, we can do that on both sides, number yes. one. Yes. Number two, I think I think this, this kind of comes down to biblical literacy. This is what I brought up in the Stephen Lisa Johnson interview. In some ways, this is not about gender roles. This is about how we read our Bible. Yes, that's true. And so is, that's why I really love what you guys do, because you guys teach people to, to read their Bibles and develop biblical literacy. Thirdly, I'd say this. There is disillusionment on both sides. Whether you're complementarian or whether you're a mutualist, I find that you find disillusioned mutualists and disillusioned complementarians on both sides. Mm -hmm. When you have somebody who's a Christian and they're disillusioned and they start reading the scriptures, I find that sometimes we can start to create a perspective using the text that's reflective of where we're at in terms of disillusionment. So I think it's important to be aware <laughs> of what we're feeling and what we're experiencing because it affects our hermeneutic. It affects how we read the text and it affects what we expect in terms of how the text is going to perform.
And, and all of this goes back to biblical literacy. Let me, guys, let me ask you guys about that for a moment. How important do you believe, regardless of where people are, that how important do you feel like biblical literacy is in this moment? It is huge. And I think you're, you hit it on the nose when you said this isn't about gender roles. It's much deeper. It's how do we interpret the Bible? Um, and how do we, I mean, there's just, there's, it's hard to know which way to go because the, there's the overarching redemptive theme that we've got to keep in mind no matter where we're at. And there's also, I, I think we, I do think we've got to trust that God knows better than us. He chose the time and the place to uh, bring us the scriptures um, that will get us to when Jesus comes back. Um, and I think um, if, if somebody needs to have something outside of the Bible to grasp a, um, a fundamental way of, of mm. Uh, in our theology, if we have to have that, then I think there's something wrong. I do think we can use the scriptures alone. Um, I don't think that those aren't helpful. We learn a lot. We teach a lot outside. We, we do that. Um, but I think if we're talking about fundamental beliefs, if, if something, something like biblical interpretation or gender roles or something a bit more basic, if we have to grasp like, oh, we didn't know about this particular thing in culture. Well, I think the scriptures do have something to say about history, a lot about history. And we do get a lot from history and taking things into context, even like First Timothy. What, you know, the, the teacher, I mean, I can go off on a tangent on that. There's a lot I'd like to share about that. But, um, but like, what is the context of what he's saying right here in the scripture? Um, and the context, not, I don't have to go outside in culture. I'm not saying that's not helpful, but if we do have to, to interpret something, I think we're getting into a dangerous spot because history is not consistent and we don't have a lot of, I mean, there's so much in history and culture that contradicts itself. You can find whatever you want. You talk about proof text, but there's outside of the Bible. You can't trust that at all. I can get, I mean, I've taught things and then realize later, like, oh, that wasn't quite right. And I've had a like, I'm like, oh man, I didn't realize that that was uh, not exactly correct. And I've learned how to like, oh, let's go to primary sources as much as we can. I've been less dogmatic on historical things because mm. uh, I've missed unintentionally have used things that I've read scholars that I even trust or respect. But again, um, the more you learn, the more you know you don't know. <laughs> but Absolutely. culture is a big thing. Well, and the, the, the depth, exegesis is a science. There, there are probably a handful of people in our entire movement that or an are, art. Are, are, are really capable of Thank you, Deb, because I was going to say art, but I'm glad you interrupted him to say it. Go ahead, Go ahead Deb. But, but I, well, let's keep it in a book. But, again, the people that are equipped in our fellowship of churches are – a very small number, very, very small number. And I, and I would say that we're not, we're not part of that because of the depth of, of if, if, we're, if we really take the word exegesis for what it means. But, but general biblical literacy, uh, th that's something that, that we should all attain to. Uh, and that principles of biblical interpretation, pr principles of just logic and argumentation and reasoning, uh, what's valid, what's, what's true, those are, those are something I think we can all aspire to have and that we should all aspire to help to equip the saints yeah. to have as well. And, uh, and of course, the, you know, the great 
Fee and Stewart line that many of us cut our teeth on years ago is that a, a Bible passage cannot mean for us what it never meant for them. Uh, mm-hmm. That, that we, we need to, if we're going to do real Bible interpretation, let's go jump into the, using our, our um, enlightened common sense, jump into the seats of those receiving these letters and, and really try to hear what they heard uh, and, and try to discern the intention, the authorial intent uh, that, that they were able to, to discern. That's, that's just su- super duper helpful. But I think the one thing that we've really learned in the last few years is that in addition to the context of the literary context, there's also the great sweep of redemptive context, the big story of the mm. And that it's, it's always appropriate to recognize that this is part of a, of a bigger movement of, of God's story. Uh, and to also spend some time footing it into the context of the big sweep. Yeah, at any time. I mean, we can read the Bible from historical context, a literary context, a redemptive. I mean, there's all these different ways we can interpret the Bible, but if we take out that overarching redemptive theme, we're going to miss out. And, and it's much easier to yeah. read into a scripture when we take out that overarching redemptive theme. And, and again, it's not. I think you're dead on with that. These are helpful, but. I think you're dead on with that because even when I think of the role that women play in the Bible, they play an irreplaceable role as it relates to the redemptive aspect of it. Absolutely. Um, Every major story, there's redemption. And again, you know, and this is why I had John Mark Hicks on recently as it relates to how we read our Bible. Are we looking for the story or are we looking for a blueprint? When you turn the New Testament, specifically Acts, into a blueprint to create the one true church or whatever it may be, and none of us want to disappoint God. I mean, it's like, why do we put so much pressure on trying to figure it out? We want to, we want to get it right. In the process of trying to get it right, sometimes we can miss the story. And I find that in this situation on both sides, are we connected with the story? If you're a mutualist, okay, got it. But are you connected with the story? If you are... Uh, Kinotarian or in this, you know, uh, complementarian. Do you know what the story is? Now, here's one thing I want to, a couple of things. Part of why I think this is such an impassioned uh, discussion is because I think some people look at it as a fellowship issue and someone look, some people look at it as a salvation issue. Yeah. Um, and I asked this to the Johnsons as well. And I've actually asked this on my Patreon community. Um, when I asked this, I had asked, hey, do you think this is a salvation issue? Some people maybe took a, a bit, I mean, they took umbrage to it because they felt like, oh my gosh, like that word salvation issue, it just felt triggering to them as it related to this issue. But do you believe that it's a doctrinal issue that is has that type of, of gravity to it? Um, how do you guys conceive of this? Do you, do you guys, I don't want to put you in a box, but... <laughs> Is this something that feels like a doctrinal issue that's more of a fellowship issue? Is it a doctrinal issue that feels more like a salvation issue? Or neither. You can, you can say we don't, we don't want to attach ourselves to either one of those. You can do whatever you want. Well, I think as a movement, we get, maybe rightly so, we get tagged with, is it a fellowship? I mean, is it a salvation issue? Is it a salvation issue? I think maybe I've learned a little bit along the way that that may not be the most profitable uh, slant mm. to take, um, especially when it's more about... Uh, you you seeing seeing God intervene with Jesus and us connecting and growing, mm. you know that that to to transactionalize it may, may not be helpful like that. But but it is interesting, by the way, that 
um, big, big groups um, that have decided to make very clear statements about it uh, have actually gone down that route. Like, the, are you familiar with the Gospel Coalition, that, that group there? Yes. The Tim Keller yes. guys. So for yes. them, this is a clear tenant of whether you're part of the Gospel Coalition or not. Because to them, if you're not, again, this is them, if you're not complementarian, then you have likely decided to do something in your understanding of the Bible that would put you well out of step with that fellowship. Uh, and, and so it, it does become that in that group. I don't, I don't know of a lot of other groups that have made such statements like that. I think we're, we're wrestling with the idea. I think for us, what, what it really comes down to is not, not the particular practices or understandings here or there, uh, different passages, but, it, but, it, but I think we do have a deep concern because we are a, a people of the Bible. Uh, we we, we want to be people that are guided not by our own common sense, but by the Bible. I think if we start to see that there is a biblical interpretive lens that causes concern, uh, then, then we're going to kind of go to the mat on that. Like let, That's worth wrestling through yeah. because that, that could lead to... Who knows how we, you know, kind of open the door if it's, let's not go, this is a one characterization. Let's not go by what Paul or anybody else actually said, but what we think they might have said if... They were if, here today. It, yeah, yeah. If we were right. to um, extrapolate it forward. Um, well, that's a, that's kind of a dangerous lens to look through because we, we actually recognize, I think maybe Deb said this, that... Jesus came at the fullness of time uh, is, is when he brought forth a son. It's when those kingdoms had established just the right conditions for the gospel to, to be the, the gospel for all time. Uh, Jesus to be Jesus then, Jesus now. Uh, but for, for us to, when there's nothing in the Bible that, that suggests otherwise, uh, for, for us to suddenly recognize that maybe there's a next step to the Bible uh, in enlightenment. Well, then, then yeah, then, then in that case, I would be like, "Whoa, we are we are in dangerous ground." I, I don't know how we're going to have a basis of of continuity b b between us if if we're not able to say, "No, what did it mean then and there to them?" Let's find the timeless principle and apply it to us, and, and we move mm. forward as a fellowship. Yeah, that's a fellowship, not necessarily a salvation issue. So you're talking about two different things. Um, I don't think it's a salvation issue, but I do think it's it's a, a fellowship discipleship issue. This whole idea of mm. it's like marriage and parenting. I mean, it's how we represent Jesus to the world. Um, and that has to do with fellowship. But I don't think I, I mean, making it a salvation issue sounds that that's I don't know. Triggers the right word, but I just it's repetitive. It sounds aggressive. Well, it says it sounds like well, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. We've got the <laughs> yeah, the resurrection of Jesus. Okay, those are clear salvation issues. So one of the one of the things that I really hear you guys saying that I I want to come back to as a foundation piece, and I I, I do want to implement it into into how I talk about this, but it's the emptying of self. We're talking about attitude of the heart. Yes. So as we have these discussions. I think one of the things that's possibly being being revealed for people is an attitude of the heart. Either either way, wherever you are, there's a certain disposition that we need to have. I will say this. 
I do think this comes down to two things. And I sometimes we can be allergic to simple. I think sometimes I oversimplify things. But I think this comes down to who preaches and who makes the decisions in churches. <laughs> and, and, and I will say, I think one thing I, I am wrestling with is I think there's a difference between giving people opportunities and giving them power. Mm. Right? Those aren't the same thing. Like, I, I, Deb, if you were, if I was listening to you, um, I would give you influence on how I think about this issue. Um, I wouldn't need Ed to sit next to you in order to validate what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Now, I understand some people have a conscience issue and, and unless you're sitting next to your wife, they, they can't really, they can't take it in because they feel like, well, but that, where's her husband? There can be a form of legalism that develops as it relates to a woman using her spiritual gift. Because at the end of the day, I think the whole argument over on the mutualist side is, is you guys are limiting people based off of their gender, even if they have the gift. And I want to say, not everybody who's a complementarian has the same conscience issue when it comes to women using their gifts. That may vary based off of generation. That may vary based off of region. You may have a church right next to each other. You see this happen all the time in the Bible Belt. Two churches right next to one another, and they don't, they're completely... Uh, different in how they, they look at things. I, I guess what I'm trying to say is, is that when you come down to preaching and you come down to making decisions, I think we're really going to have to ask ourselves some questions of how much are women going to be a part of that? I, I, I'd love to know you guys' thoughts on that. Well, I'll say, first of all, I, I do think in the International Church of Christ, we have a great model of husbands and wives leading churches. I think it has protected um, purity in certain ways, perhaps, but I do think mm. we have limited, uh, I mean, especially like single women. I do believe that I've been on mm. this bandwagon for a little bit. I mean, Jesus brought along a band of women, but it wasn't the wives of the husbands, but he did mm. bring along women. I'm not saying we have to have his model. Like you were saying, it doesn't have to be, but I think we, we need to think, I don't, I wanted Ed by my side because I think it's a gender issue. I need a man uh, to talk about the men need to be, I mean, we, it's, I don't think it's a woman role thing. I think it's a men and women role issue that, that we need refinement in. Um, and uh, so I think um, it's not, again, the marriage thing, I think single women, I mean, we have, we have some, we had some unusual models Throughout our ministry, I mean, when I had to work as a physician and had babies, I had an, I worked through an intern, and he worked with the intern. We have a married woman who's married to a nuke, who's leading with a single guy. I mean, it's it's just she's just happened a to be nuclear there is a nuclear engineer on a submarine We're, who, who doesn't it. have any time. Sorry. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so we we. I do think we need to think out of the box. I think we have some good models, but I think we need to think mm -hmm. out of the box to utilize people's gifts as well. Just to acknowledge, I know that um, that has been an issue where a single woman is doing a great job and then she gets, uh, he gets a girlfriend and all of a sudden we're training her for the ministry. Um, and that's always hmm. something that has not felt right with me. Um, not that we shouldn't train the wife <laughs> to be in the ministry if that's so what she desires and good, but not that she doesn't get trained. Um, so, but I also don't want to. We, 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 I think we've talked about some important things, but I, I don't want to make it 
feel even at all if anybody's hearing this like like we're trying to skirt the issue that that you brought up of like who gets to talk who gets the power type stuff uh because uh, obviously if you're in in a complementarian uh point of view uh then you do believe that there are differences in the way that god made men and women uh and and through those differences there's also a recognition of designated responsibilities or designated activity that the bible seems to lay forth uh mm-hmm. whether we in our um cultural common sense ag- agree with that or not uh, it ends up being not an issue because we have to subordinate what we've what we've kind of come to understand from a world point of view you know kind of a romans 12:2 to not let uh, uh, the, the world around us to constrain our, our thinking, but to be transformed through the Bible and through the countercultural, counterintuitive, uh, biblical path that we have there, and that perhaps there is a wisdom to God that supersedes our own wisdom, as enlightened as it feels that that we're becoming, uh, and to to in a sense subordinate ourselves, humble ourselves to what the Bible says, even though it's nothing that I would have written myself. Uh, and, and that would include in some cases that <laughs> men are the designated elders, uh, right? Men were the ones chosen as apostles. Uh, and my goodness, I, I, I don't know how to get around that. Uh, and, and with that, with that in view, there's also some husband wife roles, uh, that don't seem to fit a lot of the marriages that I know, um, square pegs, round holes in some cases, but nonetheless, we're going to do our best to align ourselves to what we see biblically, trusting that there's a wisdom there in God that we may not get right now, but that we're going to still nonetheless trust in God in this issue. And, and it's hard. It's not, it's not being done out of hubris, I, I hope. It's, it's really being done out of a, almost like a daily decision to surrender and subordinate our best thoughts to the to the biblical principles in view yeah so this brings me to my next and then i have a patreon question but my next question uh to some degree um is how do we because i want to send a message that that women are needed and that their gifts are desperately uh we are in desperate need of them and for instance one of the 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 ways that i feel uh, most blessed by women is through like a teaching ministry like i some of my favorite Old Testament scholars are female theologians. Mm-hmm. Um, Ellen Davis, um, you know, Sandra Richter, just to name a couple. Um, and I, I find that, and, and I know like teaching versus preaching, we could, we could do that whole thing. But as far as teaching goes, mm-hmm. um, what is you guys' stance on women teaching? Um, and I know it sounds like I'm leaving preaching alone or whatever, but I, I do want to focus on the, on, the pre- on the teaching. What is your stance on a woman teaching and how do we get more women? This is something I'm very passionate about. How do we get more women uh, to not sign up, but to, to, to come forward? Yeah. How do we summon them? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thanks, Kyle. I mean, it's so true. We do need um, more women biblical scholars. We just need them. We have some men scholars. We do have some women, um, but women who have uh, a you know, a bent towards that scholarship um, and who have ministry experience. I do think, 
I use my medical background a little bit in the sense of like, if I'm going to, you don't want medical students to be taught by a doctor that's not seeing patients. Like I do think ministries mm. living out the scriptures. Um, so I think, I don't mean full-time ministry. I mean, living out ministry, whether it's, you know, yeah. their own Bible talks versus their kingdom, house of, church kingdom or, of priests. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But, but I do think we, there's a desperate need. I think when um, the miss. Um, the unfortunate thing of First Timothy and the misinterpretation, and from my perspective, is taking it out of context and leaving it into the context of the teach and urge elder, um, which it seems like that's the context when Paul is using it to Timothy in his letter, um, when Didasco is actually the, one of the most, I mean, it's used close to what, a hundred times, and people can teach in so many different ways from uh, their example from their words, there's from music, art. I mean, there's so many different ways we can teach one another, but I do think we see very clearly that women's words were used to teach throughout the Bible. I mean, there are 14,000 words recorded by women in the Bible <laughs> and uh, they're meant to be read by men and women. Um, and I think we need to hear the woman's perspective. Just, I mean, again, Jesus had the advantage of not being like, I mean, yeah, he's in a male form, but he created men and women and, and um, men don't have that advantage. And they, we need to have a voice. We need to give our perspective. It's incomplete. Um, and uh, I do appreciate having a voice and I do appreciate being given that voice and knowing that's needed. I think sometimes when things are chaotic and crazy, somebody who's leading can try to go fast and not slow down to get that voice, which is really vital, mm. but vital, but it's not intentional. Um, but that's when I need to be the one, like we have amazing women that, and we, we for, I don't think we've done a ministry training day or even a congregational teaching day where we haven't had women teaching. But for me, I don't, that's not what, that's not teaching from the first Timothy I'm talking about. It's like imparting information we, from a woman's perspective. Can we slow down and just talk about first Timothy for a second? Because yeah. I think we're assuming some things for everybody, but you know, first Timothy is, you know, always the elephant Sorry. in the room, right? The, um, I, mm -hmm. let me, let me go ahead and, and, and read it rather than even though I've and thank you for that because there's Patreon questions that will absolutely be answered by you covering. Okay. <laughs> well, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man, right? That's the, the, the prohibition passage. It then makes a reference to creation rather than culture, makes it a, a, a passage that we need to wrestle with. And we can't easily dismiss because it's not tied so much to culture. And then it's immediately... Uh, reinforced with uh, chapter three. I mean, we have this unfortunate big three uh, that, that breaks up the continuity of, of what was just said in 1 Timothy 2.12, but, it, but, but it's then reinforced with the elders are, the husband, etc. But anyway, so, but, but this idea, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. And the immediate context of not permitting a woman to teach would then be these these uh, pastoral letters that we have. And in the pastorals where the idea of teaching is urgently being impressed upon Timothy from Paul, the immediate context of teach, because teach has a broad semantic range, right? We, we, we could imagine it being everywhere from, I think Deb referenced Colossians 3 obliquely, that you can teach through singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart. 
Or you could command and teach, urge and teach, correct and teach, as is the way that teach is used in this epistle in 1 Timothy. So there seems to be like a wartime type teaching, right? You've got heretics a-brewing, troubles a-coming. teachers. Uh, right? Trouble with a capital T, and that rhymes with P, and that stands for pool right here in River City. Go get them. Bring it. Sorry, <laughs> man. But, 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 but nonetheless, like, like get, get, get after it. You know, get on, get on the attack right now, right? Wartime teaching. But that, that seems to be also in alignment with the idea of exercising authority as well. Uh, is that I do not permit a woman to teach. Again, think of what, what, what spectrum of the broad spectrum it has been in view here in the, in the epistles, uh, the uh, pastoral epistles. Uh, I do not permit a woman to teach. Is it, is it this or is it this? Uh, or to exercise authority over a man. Uh, and, and so it, it seems as though we are safe. We are very safe and we're very biblical and very contextual if, if we are not permitting a woman to go to war for us with battling the heretic, with battling the dissenting voice. That's your thing, honey. Go get them. Uh, tell me how it turns out. And uh, you know what? I'll pray for you as you do so. Right? That, that seems to be probably a pretty clear prohibition. But, the, but to pro- prohibit a woman from teaching outside of that is not as clear and perhaps opens up an avenue for us to really let women use their gifts. And, and maybe it's, it's not going to be used in this kind of um, uh, attack type teach mode over a man, uh, but, but maybe it would be very useful to be able to give all men an amazing women's slant on, on an understanding of atonement or on a deeper appreciation mm. of the incarnation. Or, I mean, that, that's deep teaching. Uh, but it's not wartime teaching. And, and I think we are very safe in trying to look at this as a, a prohibition against wartime teaching. Wow. Okay. Uh, one of the things that I think is important to discuss, I'm going to go back to, to Deb and, and I'm about applications. So, and then I, I need to ask about Junia. But um, how can congregations offer a living example to women uh, thriving uh, to the world. So one of the things that I talked about in last interview was about the contrast. So ideally, the church consistently, as it is cult- countercultural, is also attractive. Like, so you take our church, for example, in the Omaha Church, Omaha Church of Christ. One of the things we've really gone after this year is Sabbath, Shalom, and hospitality. What we ended up realizing is that as we taught people to rest, that it would create room for the stranger. So hospitality means love of stranger, right? Well, we thought, oh, so we want to get people sharing the faith and evangelizing and all that. Then, okay, let's just teach on evangelism. No, actually, we learned that we had to create rest for people. And as we did that, um, they did that naturally. (laughs) And so I I find that, um, you know, sometimes we, you know, for instance, we assume that people in the world are resting, what we found is, is that people in the world aren't. So we have a, we found a way to be countercultural um, while also presenting something that is attractive. I think the church has an incredible opportunity. And I'm going to say something really risky. Um, wherever you are in terms of your perspective, let's go back to the emptying. 
right? It, the attitude of the heart is that you empty yourself of your human wisdom and all of the things that you think are best and you, you submit to Christ um, as he did to the Father. If that's your attitude and whether or not you believe a little bit more on the mutual side or you're a little bit more on the complementarian side, it, we may want to get rid of those terms at some point because I don't know how help they, helpful they really are for people. Um, but regardless, both people, both folks, wherever they are, can focus on setting up that contrast. We want to be countercultural, right? Because we have to be separate. We have to be distinct um, from the world. I mean, that's just what the church is. The church is a prophetic community. It's an alternative community. And it will always be that. <laughs> and if it's not that, then it's not the church. But at the same time, um, there is something that we have to offer. Like when I think about my neighbors, I, 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 we have room for them. Not just like in terms of our schedules, but our hearts. It's like the schedule starts with the heart. And so it's it's really kind of getting to that countercultural contrast that that you guys can set up. So that's my question is how do you guys become a refuge for a single woman? And I, Deb, I am really glad you brought that up. Because if you are a single female and you have gifts, you're in a really stuck place. And I'm really glad that that's on your heart as well. But the question is, is how do we create something that would be something that those women could thrive in as well. This is important. Yeah, well, I, I definitely think it's up to, I mean, as a women's ministry leader, but even for Ed, we we have our congregation and it is our, I mean, it, it, it's our job to identify, help identify people's gifts um, and whatever that gift is. And the next question is how do they utilize those gifts in the body of Christ? Um, we, we're actually in the midst of a series right now, but we've done many. Um, and sometimes, sometimes women don't even know what gifts they have and they need someone on the outside to help them see, um, often, um, like, I'm good at that. I'm like, yeah, I really do. (laughs) And there's that, (laughs) but it's not, but then, you know, it's not just what do we want to do? It's what does the body of Christ need? And, um, and I think we definitely need women's voices. We need women's teaching. We need women's perspectives. We need all of those things. And we have women that can fulfill those roles. And we, but I do, I look out and I, I think with every, from the newest member to the oldest member, constantly, we're always thinking, are they using their gifts? And gifts can change over time too. They can change with training. They can change with perspective. But again, I think it's our job to help identify what this, and then come up with, okay, so how is God going to use this in the kingdom for his, Mm -hmm. for the advancement of the gospel message, which, I mean, that's why we've been given these gifts. That's why I think good marriages and good parenting. I mean, it's all like, it even says in Timothy, you know, this is the woman's, I've heard a woman say, this is the woman's ministry. It's parenting and marriage. I'm like, but read the next line so that we can be a great light basically to the world. um, it's still, it's, it's not two camps of evangelism versus love. I mean, they're, they're intertwined and same thing with, with gifts and the kingdom of God. Absolutely. If somebody has a gift, it needs to be used. That's why God gave it to them. And it's bad leadership, which we, we haven't been the greatest, um, when we're not identifying somebody's gifts or helping them, um, have somebody in their life that can help them identify their gifts so that they can use them for the kingdom. Yeah, good point. Again, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherd, teachers, what are we supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be always on the outlook uh, for those that uh, have have those abilities to throw in together, to, to know the honor and the significance of building up Jesus, building up the body of Christ. Uh, and yeah, I mean, kind of bad on us if 
if uh, folks are are not being stoked in their in their giftedness. Yeah, yeah, we've really tried to like. The word "dis" I got discipled usually means something negative. We're trying to right. change that to "I got disciples." Like, wow, mm. what did you learn gonna, about yourself? What did you? Put a, what? We're going to put a curse. What did you learn? Yeah. What did you, you know learn? how like some families have a curse jar? Yeah, yeah. Like put a, put a dollar in if you curse. So we're gonna like if you ever use the word disciple, I got discipled. Negative meaning rebuke. A dollar, a dollar in the curse jar. <laughs> discipled means I love oh, that. You got you got you got encouraged. You 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 had vision instilled. You were being trained. I mean, that's the, the key of it, right? You're being trained to be more like Christ and to be more effective for the body of Christ. But if a woman has a gift of yeah. speaking, she needs to speak. If she has a gift of teaching, she needs to teach. <laughs> a gift of, but we've got to find the avenues to do that. And I think we do. We're, we're, I'm actually, we're coming up with a developmental plan because we don't have enough women scholars and people teaching that can actually mentor. But you don't need to be an Olympic swimmer to coach an Olympic swimmer. I mean, we can have, but if we identify gifts, but we have developmental plans that we can put in place, we just need accountability for people um, working towards using that gift, whatever they gift that, that in collective in community, we've decided that together, you know, that person feels believes, or at least is willing to try or um, in community, we can come up with that and then have some sort of plan to work in that direction. And anybody can do that. They don't have to have that particular gift of teaching to be able to raise up a teacher. And if you have anybody listening that's, that's looking to kind of coach a teacher or raise them up or a teacher looking to be accelerated in their developmental plan, they can send us an email. We can send them the materials that we use. to. It's a very, very basic template to help them along. But it, it provides some intentionality. And with that comes a bit of acceleration in someone's development. A question from uh, one of the Patreon supporters. After listening to Ed's exposition of 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 12, I've had the follow question, follow, I've had the following questions. How do you then take into account Junia, who was prominent among the apostles in Romans 16? Among the other examples of teaching women, such as Priscilla or Phoebe, taking her as the reader and interpreter of Romans. On a different note, what structures has your congregation put into place to ensure that the cultural baggage associated with the complementarian position, such as misogyny, abuse, or silencing, is not carried forward with the limitation of women's voices and the decisions and interpretations within the church? Wow, what a robust question. <laughs> so, um, I feel like that is a, that's full. Yeah. Yeah. So How do you want to respond? Well, there are there are certain um, let's call them I, I, I don't know trump cards almost that we often try to use in exposition or in biblical interpretation, and and so for example we may have narrative that describes a situation, but then we may have a didactic passage that actually gives direct teaching to something, and typically we allow the didactic to guide us because the narrative uh, may or may not be be, be something that might even be exemplary in some cases. We don't always know. Um, I, I would I would assume the couple situations here are are exemplary, but we don't know a whole lot. It's not so explicit, right? The the implicit never trumps the explicit when we're trying to look at scripture. And I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the Church of Cancrea, 
that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need for you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. And, and that's the, the subject matter that we have, which is fantastic and, and pretty, pretty cool. Um, but is the language so technical? Is it freighted with enough technical words that would make us understand that she was the one who not only uh, delivered the letter, which likely she was, but also expounded the letter, gave interpretation to the letter, and handled the Q&A to the letter. Well, obviously, that would be then extrapolating way, well beyond the, the, the biblical information that we have. And for that to then uh, undermine or, or create a conflict with what Paul was saying in 1 Timothy 2, um, it doesn't doesn't seem to have the if if she even were to perhaps read that letter i don't know if that even falls into the category of command and teach and and, and urge and teach if she's simply reading a letter that was was written by by someone else rather than kind of preaching it on her own um so there's that boy oh boy junior sure is a can of worms though right and and uh all that yeah that, that goes into that. Go ahead. You want to talk oh, about I was that? just going to say, I mean, it's certainly possible that she did. And I think that would have been fine. Um, not the, I mean, if she's reading a letter and which I think she did, it seems clear she's a patron. I, I mean, she probably was financially supportive and then she actually travels there. She must've been some sort of, I mean, to have access to the travel. I just imagine she must've been some sort of businesswoman. Um, and was she a servant or deacon? Same word in the original language. I mean, I'm open to uh, a woman becoming a deaconess. Um, it never says uh, she can or can't be, but this seems like it's in the service for the Lord, but it isn't, doesn't seem like it has the same teeth that we're talking about in the urge and teeth in Paul's epistles. And, and likewise with uh, uh, Junia further down in Romans 16, I think in verse seven, where, where it speaks of her being well known to the apostles, prominent among the apostles. Uh, there's some sort of a connection there to the apostles, uh, and we we all. But but we we know that the, the Greek leaves us with an ambiguity as to whether it is that she has a good ret good reputation. Maybe that's a good way of putting the the idea there. It's um, uh, 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 episemos is the idea there is is that concept one that is saying that the apostles uh, hold her in high regard or that everyone holds her in high regard among the apostles it's it, it's very difficult and and again with a passage like that uh to again have something that is a bit difficult to be again uh trumping something that is rather explicit or, or straightforward uh, will also be a bit odd. Let me ask you a practical question, and I'm gonna I'm gonna sort of end with this, and we'll get to off the record. I was talking to a very respectable uh, researcher, and he brought up a point um, as it relates to just general ministry um, that when it comes to making decisions in the church, that we're gonna involve women, and what that means is is that we're not gonna have an elders meeting and not have women there. We're not going to have a meeting that we didn't have women at and make a decision. 
that women are a part of leadership and they are part of the decision-making process at every level. I don't see that God is trying to take them out of being able to make decisions. Um, my question, practically, sure. practical ministry to you guys, putting you on the spot a little bit, when you guys make decisions, do you involve the women? And when you guys have elders meetings? Well, we had an elders meeting women? on Sunday and... Yes, yes, we, we do. And yes, I, I think, I don't know of any mature marriages that where the husband would say, like, I make the decision in the household. Um, that would not go so well. We, <laughs> and yeah, we, we know that any marriage, if a husband ever utters the words, submit to me, well, broken, broken. Yes, we know we submit to one another. What? It's not going to go well. Yes. But, but I mean, yeah, it, it is. It is. That's right. The wife could turn around and say, read one verse earlier. <laughs> but but there is that sense like we, we have to. And, and, and I think if we have an issue where a woman's voice isn't being heard, which isn't at an eldership. We, I mean, our elders meetings we have women at. We have women at our staff meeting. We have women that will take turns um, like doing passages mm -hmm. in the scriptures. And we always get the woman's perspective. Even she might be facilitating the discussion. Um, and that we, we do that as well, but we get from, so they're getting a woman's perspective even before they preach on the passage that's coming up. Uh, so, it, so at most levels, there's, um, there's, you know, I feel like we're, we've always, and, and then we have young singles that aren't, then that's a discipleship issue and, and we help. But yeah, there's collaboration at multiple levels. It's got to be generational. It's got to be mm -hmm. a variety of, of cross-functional collaboration yeah. if we're going to do things well in the body yeah. of Christ. Yeah, we got to get better at the generational it's the, thing. It is that First Corinthians 12 kind of interdependence body of Christ idea. Do, do we, just to, to, to you know, kind of, again, make sure that we're not trying to, you know, almost say something and then squirm, squirm away from anything, do, do we understand there to be designated roles? Yes. Is that born out of some sort of patriarchy instinct? Let's hope no. Uh, let's hope that it's the fact that, hey, we, you know, I, I came out of a kind of a Northeast liberal Ivy League background. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't come into the kingdom with some sort of a patriarchy <laughs> instilled in me. It, if anything, any sort of concept of like, wow, I guess an elder... We have family members, by the way, that are elders that are women uh, in our family out, outside of our fellowship. So anything that we came into with would would not have been with a kind of a preconceived notion that has been informed by that version of patriarchy. But the idea that an elder is a man really did come to me through the Bible. Mm -hmm. that, that was that's where it came to me. Uh, it, it didn't come to me from, yeah. from somewhere else. Uh, and, and so the designated role of an elder uh, or, or someone exercising such authority as as church leadership. Uh, yeah, that that, that did uh, that. Inf I'm informed on that uh, more from the Bible than than all of my experiences growing up in and out of church. Well, before we get to off the record, I just want to thank both of you. Um, and I want to encourage everyone listening to this right now to really slow down and notice what your pacing is around this. Notice if there's a party that's ready to do counterpoint and ready to just like get really, really reactive. 
and really just slow down. And I want all of us to realize that when we double down on a position that we haven't done enough research in, it's not going to end well. In other words, if you're tempted to try to reduce your anxiety and medicate yourself by just identifying with a specific position and in order to kind of make that uncertainty go away, it's not going to work. Some of us need to wrestle. And in many ways, it has less to do with gender roles or this or that. It's the biblical literacy that's developed out of this process that we will be able to take with us as we continue to mature, which is the goal. I think that sometimes you find churches ill-equipped for these cultural moments because there's been a lack of depth as it relates to their biblical literacy. This is a moment where people can develop that and it will lead to maturity. I want to tell you guys the same thing that I tell everyone before we head to off the record that we are with you and God is for you. Deb and Ed, thank you so much for joining me. I truly appreciate it. Well, thank you, Kyle. You're a delight. For those of you that are Patreon community members, we'll see you off the record.